0: Well, what a difference a week makes, uh, not just in this place, although the transformation of a facility is somewhat, for us, emblematic of our mission here at Prism Church, to see renewal, transformation, and so physical change and physical plants really point us to the ultimate thing, which is that we want people to see Jesus change us, and then by virtue of him changing us, they'd be encouraged uh, to trust him too. Ironically, this is Palm Sunday, and what we see in today's text on Palm Sunday is a tale of the same sort, of what a difference a week makes. In our text today, you see Jesus entering Jerusalem to the praise of the people. The court of a public opinion, though, changes in a matter of six days. One week they were running to him. The next week they're literally all running away from him. He entered Jerusalem with an entourage, but a week later, he left it alone. He entered Jerusalem with a colt carrying him. He left Jerusalem a week later with him carrying our cross. The crowds cheered him when he entered the city. A week later, they jeered him, spit on him, mocked him. Fresh off, the resurrection of his friend Lazarus, Jesus comes to the Passover celebration in Jerusalem. If you're wondering what this place was like, it was a mob. And it says in the text today, in John 12, verses 9 through 11, this is the verses preceding our message today. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. So the chief priests made... Plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So there's festivals in town. Everybody hears Jesus is coming, and it stirs the jealousy of those who had the greatest share of the religious marketplace at the time. I always find it odd, and perhaps something that's unique to me. So forgive me for being the chief sinner here at Prism Church But I think about Lazarus getting resurrected to the dead and then now himself becoming an object of a death threat. And I I know if it were me, I'd be going, why did not you just leave me dead in the first place? I mean, resurrect me to something wonderful if you want. But this is really ultimately what we're all called to. When Jesus brings you to life, he's bringing you into his company, which means that if people find fault with him, they're going to find fault with you, even though all you did was get healed by him in the first place. A week later, after this large crowd of people are mobbing him, they became a mob calling for his death as a criminal, succumbing to the political pressure and the religious pressure and the whims of their culture. And this is the nature of this man, Jesus, as well. Many are drawn to him, perhaps for selfish reasons, perhaps for cultural reasons, but it's only when the tide turns against him that we discover if we're really willing to acknowledge his right to lead us. The great news of Palm Sunday is this, that Jesus is our glorious God in the flesh, and he has revealed himself to us, and he invites us to relationship with him. Got a couple thoughts for you today. Give you some insight into Palm Sunday and why we celebrate it. The first of those thoughts is that Jesus allowed himself to be seen in his majesty. The second is he allowed himself to be stripped of his dignity. We'll begin in John 12, verses 12 through 15. The word says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches off palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. During this season of Israel's history, the crowds at the festivals were enormous. If you've been to the Rose Parade, think Rose Parade. And then one person being the center of attention. Jesus was effectively the Grand Marshal this particular year, which rubbed The Pharisees, the absolute wrong way. Jesus, though, was allowing himself to be seen in his majesty. You may ask, what does that mean? Amidst all the mania, Jesus, really knowing he was just days from his own death, decided this was an opportunity for people to see who he was. The people's uses of palm branches was emblematic of the celebrating of him. It was something that had originated in the Feast of Tabernacles, but it had sort of kind of taken itself over into other feasts. And it had become associated with the waving of palm branches to exalt someone, reserved usually for a conquering war hero. And the use of Psalm 18 and saying, Hosanna, is to demonstrate the arrival, the, the going uphill to, into the city of Jerusalem. By a conquering king and Jesus now looking messianic, the King of Israel coming into town, this, this declaration that he was the king of Israel, coming on a colt, is one of the things that gave ammunition to his enemies just days later at his trial. "Are you the king of the Jews?" they would ask him. What makes what makes an amazing difference in a week? is Jesus' willingness to let people see who he was because he would tell the Sadducees and the Pharisees of the Sanhedrin council, I am who you say I am. Oh, what a difference a week makes. Jesus was God in the flesh and the king of the universe, but out of necessity, he often kept this reality from being seen much of the time. We see in John's gospel as well, John chapter 6, Verses 14 and 15, when the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And this wasn't the only occasion when this happened. People ready to make Jesus forcibly the king of the Jews. And Jesus had a very different mission. He had a notion that he was going to be the spiritual savior of the world, and he became that and was that. But the people didn't know that. And there were times where because of his timing and how he wanted it all to piece together and the necessity that people would come and actually crucify him in our place, Jesus had to conceal his identity. Yet there were other times, like on Palm Sunday, when Jesus allowed the people to see him in all of his glory, In Matthew chapter 17, the first three verses, the gospel, according to that writer, said, after six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. So there were moments when Jesus said, it's really important for you to know who I am, But then a lot of the time, Jesus would choose to say, I'm disguising who I am because some things have to take place that won't take place if people forcibly make me king. Jesus oftentimes disguised who he was. It's funny, we live in Los Angeles, and while we had a group of people from Florida here to service last week, a couple of them asked me about, Did I ever see celebrities? You ever get that question? Ever see any celebrities? As if they, any of them are in Pasadena. You know. But seriously, they, they want to know. And I would tell them, from time to time, I will see a B or a C-list celebrity because they usually want to be seen. You know, If, they're, if you're a C-list person, D-list maybe, you're out there with a sign saying, I'm a D-list celebrity. You want people to notice you. The A-list celebrities never let anybody know who they are because they hate the mob. It's, it's getting irritating. You can always see at the airport, when an A-list celebrity is there because you've got a mob of photographers, the paparazzi going after them with all their might. And this is, so this is often what we'll do is create these, you can see them online, it's kind of ridiculous. Some of the most famous celebrities wear costumes out in public. They just need to be protect themselves. They need to actually shield their identity so they can have some privacy. So you can imagine how shocked I was when I was in Santa Monica, few months back with a buddy of mine who was visiting, and as we were walking through town, he said, hey, that was Cuba Gooding Jr. And I turned around. And it was a very diminutive young man right there, and, and it, it didn't even strike me that somebody who wasn't, by most accounts, an A-list celebrity, just walking around town being Cuba Gooding himself. Apparently, he doesn't feel nearly uh, as great a need to protect his anonymity as most. But I would say, This is part of the dynamic that's in play with Jesus showing that he's God in the flesh. He's wanting certain people to get the picture and other people out of necessity for his plan not to get the picture, and he's got it all figured out in his head. And on Palm Sunday, he gives us this glimpse. He gives us a glimpse into the fact that he is willing to be worshiped, which right there should tell you that. He is God and willing to acknowledge that he is deity. Otherwise, he would be like, oh, don't worship me. He would be pushing back against that. But Jesus comes to let you and I know he's the majestic king. He's the holy one of Israel. He's here to rescue us. He allowed himself to be seen in his majesty. The second thought I have for you today is this. And we see it in the text, and then we see it in some other things as well. He allowed himself to be stripped of his dignity. So he's this majestic king, but he's going to allow himself to become nothing to rescue you and me. John 12, verses 16 through 19. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he'd done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. A couple quick notions from this passage. One is, this is a great sign that you are genuinely a believer. When it says, the disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things that had been written about him and had been done to him. If you are a real believer in Jesus, when you have a confusing time, as the disciples most certainly did, They did not see the plan of God. They had glimpses of it, but didn't know exactly what was going on around them and and had some traumatic moments of great doubt and fear during the time between his crucifixion and his resurrection and when they got to see him. If you've been one of those people who's had a confusing time of life and you don't understand what Jesus is doing, you continue to probe more deeply and you eventually come to understand. A sign that you are genuinely a believer is not the presence of trauma in your life or difficulty or struggle or battles with sin or compulsive behavior. The sign that you're a believer is you keep digging, and like the disciples, you don't understand at first, but then over time, Jesus begins to show you. You remember things he said to you in the process. You remember that he has superintended all of the events that caused such fear in your life. I I find it also somewhat hilarious because it it really shows the nature of we as human beings that that the Pharisees would so exaggerate the impact of Jesus. I mean, do you hear what they're saying here? This is a riot to me. It says, look, the whole world has gone after him. I mean, that is an exaggeration akin to what was said in John 11, when the leadership also feared, they said, if we let Jesus go on this like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. They're sounding like really panicky people. We're gonna lose it, we're gonna lose it. And I want you to see, because I have to look at this and recognize and acknowledge this myself, in a a real sense, their whole world was following after him. this is the problem. The crowd, the mob, that was their world. That's how it is with us and our idols. I don't know what your thing is, your possessions, your relationships, some compulsive behavior, something that makes you feel better because you're feeling sad. But the nature of those things is when they get taken from us, our whole world starts to come apart because those things have become our whole world. And In in fact, the Pharisees now really are seeing their whole world come unglued. What are we going to do? They're going to go after him. They're going to lose our country, and they're panicking. You and I should take great caution that the things of this world don't become our whole world. A week after Jesus was celebrated as the conquering king, it's important to recognize that Jesus is the one who willingly allowed himself to be stripped of this dignity. He could have just continued on some kind of track and let everybody praise him. The, these Pharisees were not dominating him. He was allowing them, if you, want, if you will allow it, Jesus was allowing their greed and their need for control and power and their idols to drive him to the cross that he needed to go to, out of obedience to the Father. Jesus knew that the Father's mission was that he was supposed to die for the sins of the world, suffer the just punishment that you and me deserved. So he obeyed. Why? Because he wants to be our whole world. In Philippians 2, the apostle Paul writes in verses 5 through 8, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is, in your, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus emptied himself, doesn't mean he ceased being God by nature. It means he relinquished all of his rights, all of his claims to deity. Really, in truth, we owe him. If he's God and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus next Sunday, because as Christian believers, we believe and affirm that he did come back to life and therefore prove himself to be God veiled in flesh. If he's God, then it makes logical sense as our creator in John 1 says, through him all things were created. Everything that's been created was created through him. Then we owe him, but that's not his attitude. He took on the nature of a servant. He, didn't be, he wasn't asserting his royal right, you will come and kiss my ring. He was saying, I'm going to come down there and be with you. I'm going to stoop to your level. I'm going to be a man of the people. He willingly allowed himself to be stripped of whatever royal dignity was his own. In fact, the night he was taken into custody on that long week, his disciples attempted to physically defend him and Jesus reassured them that he still had it all under control. His disciples did not get that these people who were going to take his life were ultimately just playing into his hands, that there was a spiritual battle taking place and Jesus, sovereign even over the evil in the heavenlies, is allowing that to take him where he needed to go for our sakes. Jesus entered Jerusalem as a conquering warrior, but he knew that the war he would fight was spiritual and that he was the one who would have to die in order to conquer the grave and pay for our sins. In John 18, verses 10 and 11, Simon Peter, having A sword drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given to me? Jesus willingly, graciously, allowed himself to be stripped of his dignity. He entered the city on Palm Sunday as a king. But he willingly took the punishment of a criminal to rescue us from sin. And here's the good news Jesus may be a celebrity, but he's not disguising himself from you. He's come today to put himself right in front of you and say, I wanna be close to you. He's not quickly hurrying off to his luxury automobile with his entourage in tow or his security guards trying to protect him. He's sitting down with you and saying, I want to be close to you. I want to be friends with you. I have died to pay for your sins. If you will trust me, he's asked you to be his friend. I love this TV show, Undercover Boss. Raise your hand if you've seen this television show. The rest of you, shame on you. You need to, uh, you need to see it. It, it, it. To me, it is a, it is a huge. Uh, uh, Metaphor for the gospel as well. It is one of those things that when we talk about our mission to be a part of renewing culture, those of you who are in the arts business, big business here in this city, um, this is one of the reasons why we think every piece of art doesn't have to have a born again fish stamped on it to be Christian art. Because I can't watch Undercover Boss in just about any episode without getting this choked up sense of what Jesus has done for us. Now, if you don't know how the theme of this show goes every week, it's like this. The CEO of some multinational gargantuan company, moolah coming out of his ears or her ears, chauffeured everywhere they go, leading a life of privilege, having a bunch of people around them, officing in some gargantuan suite overlooking this beautiful place, decides that it's time for them to get down with the common people. And so they disguise them. They put them in a uniform, whatever the business might be, and they put them at the lowest level of their company so that they can walk around and see where the company's flaws are and meet some of the company's people. And they're filmed ostensibly as a documentary crew coming in to just film what life is like with a new employee. And so the employees don't know that this is the CEO of the company. And all throughout the course of the show, you see people coming into contact with the CEO and, and he's, he or she is developing the sensitivity and this, this sense that these people are working hard. And really, sometimes the problem with our company is that we as leaders in the company haven't taken care of them very well. And at the conclusion of each show, there's a surprise reveal moment where the CEO has these individual employees who they have come to know over the course of their journey will sit down in front of he or she and reveal themselves. And sometimes the employees look at them because they're not in disguise anymore, and they go, oh, my goodness, you're the guy that was mopping the floors last week. And then the CEO will say, you know, I think it's amazing what you've done, and I'm going to help you go to college, or I'm going to pay for an operation for somebody in your family, or I'm going to bless you in some amazing way. And, And usually what happens is the employees start crying, even the big tough guys. Because the nature of it is is that somebody who they thought they didn't deserve to have care about them has all of a sudden poured out their soul to them. And they have made a connection with them. And somebody big and powerful has now come and said, You matter to me. This is what we celebrate. This is Palm Sunday. This is Holy Week. This is Good Friday. This is Easter. Someone so above our pay grade, morally speaking, has come and descended to walk amongst us. And now he's revealing himself. And he's saying, come, follow me, and I will give you life. I will give you life. Those things that have been your whole world aren't worth a thing. I want to be your whole world. So will you respond to him? You do so. Last week's you, this week's you. What a difference a week can make. Let's pray. Father, for this day we give you thanks. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for the multiplicity of ways that you would work in our lives. And Jesus, it is our hope, not just for us here at this congregation, but for our neighbors and friends, for other churches in our area that are proclaiming the gospel in this great season where people are perking up to hear about the risen Savior, that you'd bring new life, that you would change hearts, that today, if even here today, there'd be those who would respond to your call to relationship. They'd come and take communion for the first time and say, Jesus, I want to be your friend. I want to follow you. We pray for your blessing on this time, for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen.